Hello, and welcome to Conversations with Kari. I'm your host, Kari Feiler. In today's episode, I'm talking with my friend Sam Curtis. He's a father, husband, and surfer. We get into human factor design, attentional autonomy, some TV shows that we both enjoy, the Fast and the Furious Enterprise, the power of the moment, religion and religious ideas, the likelihood of extraterrestrials, targeted ads, and much more. This podcast is supported by a Patreon. If you go over to patreon.com forward slash Kari underscore Filer, you can support this show. I hope you enjoy. Recorded well, and now we're live. <clears throat> so Let me clear my throat. <laughs> you're fine. You're fine. Uh, Sam, thank you for coming on. I know you from several years ago. Uh, we were in the same social circle uh, in Long Beach, right. California. And mm-hmm. I was just always consistently impressed with you and how you carried yourself. You were absolutely Stop. one of you were you were one of the men in that social group, right? When uh, when we talk about admirable men inside of a social group, you were certainly one. Uh, and so I'm so pleased it. that you that you're willing to come on here. Please introduce yourself to the handful of people that are listening. <clears throat> so uh, my name is Sam Curtis, and as Kari mentioned, we were. Uh, we were friends in Long Beach, you know, we, we spent some years in the same group together and, you know, I have the same wonderful things to say about you. I I always looked, it was very impressed. I mean, the way you, you carried yourself and you spoke so eloquently about a lot of topics that I, at the time had probably still had had no clue what it was, uh, or, you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, I was just always very Im- Im- impressed, and it was, it was nice to see you. You know, I always remember seeing Kari and being, like, excited about it. It wasn't, like, trying to, like, duck certain people that you see in social circles. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, here, come, here comes this guy. Yeah, It was yeah, always yeah. very much like, let me give this guy a hug. Let me shake of course, his hand. Let of me course. see how he's been. I mean, we so. were part of the same crew. We were, we were kind of on – so I knew – Casey and Alex and Aaron and that was my core group and then right and we were both friends with Eric uh we can leave his last name out but we knew we had a common <laughs> an Eric in common yeah 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 it was nice yeah so, and I mean like Roy I mean there was just a, a lot of people who like I don't think you and I ever hung out just like you and I together mm-hmm. but at the same time you still like meet some people and there's like an unsaid kind of bond or like connection you have with them. It's like, yeah, I don't know what kind just, of friend that, that it's, is. It's, but. I, I think it's one of those, you know, you were, you were there a little bit more. I wasn't there that long actually. So I was in and out of that group in a couple of years and I think you had more established friendships. How long had you been down there by the time I got there? By the, I mean, I don't even know what year. I mean, I moved to Long Beach in 2006 Towards the end of 2006, beginning of 2007, okay. and I was there until about 2015. Hmm. And you know, at that point, I it was my first time moving out of California. I finished grad school, was pregnant with my you know my wife and I were pregnant unexpectedly. We were engaged before that, and you know, I got a I got a good offer right out of grad school kind of even before i had even finished and so it just kind of seemed like the cost of living um the quality of life that we could have in columbus ohio kind of checked the boxes as well as 
you know, like towards the end of towards the end of 2015, I, I was excited to try something different. You know, like Long Beach was such a wonderful nest, mm. right? And I mean, mm. kind of a home away from home because I had spent my first 18 years of my life in the Bay Area. And uh, so Long Beach really did become a second home to me. And then, you know, I think it was time for me to go and grow a little bit more. So mm. we, we kind of found this opportunity and left. What did you go do? So I worked as a consultant. Um, I have a background in psychology and it's, it has a dash of engineering in it. And that's called uh, Human Factors. Mm. And it's basically the study of people using some type of device or working in some type of environment and trying to optimize that essentially. So looking for, looking for pain points and then working with designers or, you know, engineers, whatever they happen to be to kind of remove that barrier. Them. And so you're talking about in, a, in, a, yeah. in an explicitly business context. So we're talking about it sounds like or it, or it, not. Business. It could be consumer. It could be consumer products. That's mm. that's one area this gets applied to. Um, this line of work started, uh, I believe it was World War Two, where they were redesigning the cockpit because they mm. were finding that these cockpits and these planes were getting rather complex. And so it kind of. They started by thinking about, you know, button placement in the cockpit. So, you know, let's group these buttons together because they seem to control the same type of functions or, you know, ergonomics as far as like, okay, our, our typical pilot is 510. They weigh about 180 pounds. Like how do we design? So like anthropometrics is something else that comes up a lot. So the study of the human body and how big and small people are, Mm. how large their hands are, how small their hands are. And trying to design for like 95% of people. Okay. And um, I was specifically, I was, so I was not working in, in aerospace. I, I was in grad school, but um, it was mostly in the automotive space and helping design car infotainment systems hmm. and the use of, and improving usability of it um, to reduce driver distraction, make sure, you know, we know that people are going to use devices and things in their cars. It's just, there's, there's, no way around it, even with laws in place. So how do we reduce the amount of driver distraction, um, optimize how quickly someone can navigate an interface so they can get their, you know, get back to the primary task, which is driving, you know, a two ton vehicle. Is there a union for this type of work? There's no union for human factors engineers. And Mm. we're kind of, we're, we're, we're kind of, uh, no one really thinks about us unless something goes wrong. So, mm. Like when people are using devices they and it's working well for them, they, they almost take it for granted. No one ever really stops to think to themselves like, wow, this iPhone or this device or whatever this happens to be is so intuitive, right? You just kind of, it works. It does what you need it to do and you move on with your day. Uh, if something doesn't work and you're confused and frustrated and, and want to throw your phone out the window or your other device, that's when you think about like, who designed this shit? Mm-hmm. You know, you get you get those types of comments. And um, so if we're doing our overlap job, there you know, with game design. So in game design, yeah. if you're playing a game and it's designed well, you don't ever think about the design. You think about, you're thinking about your task. Okay, what's my 
what's my skill here? Can I get this other skill? You're just busy playing the game uh, in a well-designed game. So when you have to stop and think, where is this screen? Why? How do I access this? What was this again? And you're just fumbling just to play. Uh, right. It's the same thing. Then then the designers have gotten the way and they failed. Mm-hmm. 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 So I know some people who actually, so they, um, they're human factors, people who work for PlayStation and Microsoft and, mm. these, you know, Steam, whatever it is you happen to play for or play with, you have people who are designing menus and setting screens and, you know, designing icons and, you know, how do you swap, how do you cycle between weapons? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there's a lot of studying people as they use these, you know, video games. That's a great um, analogy or we can kind of keep poking with that. But, you know, imagine we're designing this new video game and we have a certain controller layout that no one's used before. Well, first we want to know what are these people using today? So what are the PlayStation controllers looking like? Your Wii controllers, your Xbox controllers, what are the layouts <clears throat> what are the mental models that people have around, you know, a game controller, for instance? And so we would bring people in and we'd show them our new product, our new game controller, and watch them use it. And we would make note of, you know, when they hit this button that hmm. maybe it looks like a circle. What do they expect is going to happen? Hmm. Are they going to, like, reload something? Are they going to jump? Are they going to crouch and crawl on the ground? And... uh that kind of helps us better understand the user, and then we design a better experience around that. Oh, that's really I've cool. I've always wanted to work with video games. I always thought that would be a fun place to be. It is. It is very fun. And that's actually why I've transitioned out of uh, the corporate work into game development, because I have this blessing and a curse, if you will. Mm-hmm. I find it very, very difficult to do things that I don't want to do. Now, this comes from not having primarily from not having a male in the home when I was very young. And so I wasn't taught discipline when I was a boy. Uh, And Mm -hmm. so I'm just I'm just a regular undisciplined person. (laughs) (laughs) That's what that's what I've got. There are plenty of undisciplined people out there. I'm one of them. But I've managed to recognize that fortunately recognize that early enough to where I go, okay. I don't have very good discipline when it comes to making myself do things. So what I need yeah. to do is find things that I kind of like and then focus on those. <laughs> right. And then I'm able to put in the hours because I'm kind of having a good time, even though it's a grind. Uh, and so that's what <laughs> right. I've, that's what I had to get out of corporate work and I have managed to work myself into games. Um, what's your, I don't know. Yeah. No, Just a comment on that. Like, I don't know how anyone, kind of does stuff that they don't want to do oh my gosh and, it, and they can keep that up they, for years so many people millions in my DNA millions of people too. do that are doing that right yeah. now right hundreds of probably I, billions in the world are doing that that's probably more normal than not is being right. able just to say this is my lot in life these are the cards that i've been dealt and then putting right. your head down and grind and then put hope in your kids uh, i think i think more people do that than don't Wow. Yeah, it, it. I mean, you really think about how lucky we are that, mm. I mean, that we could kind of choose to find things that we enjoy because I, I enjoy mm. my job too. And I, mm. I have a, you know, although we didn't have similar upbringings, I lack discipline in, you know, working at things that I didn't like. And mm. so like, I sucked at school for the longest time. Really? Like I, I just could not get homework done you know i I couldn't write papers i mean it was 
Um, I was diagnosed with ADD at a young age. And so it was really hard for me to focus on stuff and get tasks done uh, that I wasn't interested in, I should say. Mm -hmm. Because Mm -hmm. if it is something that I like, I almost get tunnel vision on it. And um, I like I'm really driven to accomplish those things. But those things are mostly like adrenaline, you know, be it sports or, you know, surfing, right? Like I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, or, you know, art is something that kept my attention for a long time. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess now I'm really lucky that I was able to find something I like to do because I probably, I probably couldn't keep up with it if I didn't, I would say. I think the, I think that where we want to go with society is that we want society to be freer than it is. And it might be that might be a truism because you can imagine that as as time goes on, the definition of freedom increases with the standard of living. So what an American would call uh, the minimum amount of acceptable freedom today is probably much, much higher than it was in 1880. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so, you know, even though that definition changes, but it's still true today. And so what we enjoy today uh, is a large measure of freedom. And and I like to pursue the concept of attentional autonomy. This is the idea that every individual should be able to pay attention to whatever they want, whenever they want, for as long as they want. An example that Mm -hmm. I can use is um, Jeff Bezos's oldest kid. I don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but Jeff Bezos's oldest kid, that person... I think they're maybe mid-20s, something like that. If they decided mm-hmm. tomorrow simply to focus on playing Heroes of the Storm and being a Doritos connoisseur, they could do that for the rest of their lives <laughs> because they, that, they're, they're set, right? Uh, and that's right. absolute freedom. Uh, and what I want to do is think about society and let's, let's all push for society that extends that type of freedom, attentional autonomy, yeah. to everyone uh, eventually. And, that, and I think that's what brings... The best out of people. Uh, I think you're. But is there any country in the world that condones this or allows this type of exploration? Yeah, yeah. No, we all want it. Uh, it's not easy to get to, right? The, so sure. What, but, what I'm what I'm talking about yeah. is kind of like what I'm talking about is kind of like let's give um, let's give internet access access to indoor plumbing, electricity, and shelter, sure. and food to everyone, right? That's what I'm saying. That's not an easy point to get to. <laughs> right. But every, have you, um, every country would love it, I'm sure. Right. Um, have you heard of Maslow's hierarchy of needs? Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, like, that's kind of what we're describing here, where we're talking about this pyramid, and at the the, the basic level of this pyramid, ground level, is like, food and shelter and safety. Mm. And then, you know, as we attain these goals, we're able to now think about other stuff like art and music and literature. And as we get moved beyond that, you know, or maybe I think maybe that it's relationships, I think is a big important baseline. So now we're working on relationships. Then we're working on um, these extracurricular activities, which is kind of the fun stuff. So sports and art and literature, et cetera. And then I think we get to like self self realization, which is at the the peak, which is like you've accom- basically you've accomplished everything else in the world, you know, that you need mm. to, and then you mm. reach this point where you are like at nirvana, and you're now working. You now have 
all the time in the world, like Jeff Bezos' kid, you'd hope that he would get to self-realization. Um, you know, but you, you can basically kind of grow and you have all the time in the world to focus on yourself and the inner workings that need to happen. But it gets really difficult to get there. I mean, especially in certain countries where like you're just you're focused on getting food or find it being safe, not being in like, you know, not being in a war torn country. Absolutely. And, um, absolutely. What I like to what I like to say is that there is a a best and permanent enemy uh, in all of our lives. And that is yourself. That's the best and permanent enemy. When you are your biggest barrier to whatever it is you would go after, then the society that you're in is doing its job because <laughs> you're always going to be your biggest barrier. Uh, and so right. the higher the percentage of the population where each individual is themselves their largest enemy, that's a country that's doing its job. Uh, and we mostly do that job. Uh, and so the the pursuit of actualization, the pursuit of nirvana and battling with your inner demons, that's the stuff of life. Uh, and I, I want that to be the primary battle for everyone. Uh, that's my primary right. battle. I've been fortunate enough uh, in my life to have that be my primary battle. Uh, but not everyone gets those cards. Uh, yeah. What do you watch for entertainment? What are you into? What do you what do you like? Oh, I'm uh, I'm rewatching True Blood with nice. my wife. So. Nice. That that's a fun one. So watching Sookie Stackhouse and Bill Bill Compton what? in Louisiana. What are those things? Times. I don't know what those are. <laughs> those are the main characters. Okay. Blood. And uh, it's fun. I mean, my wife when when we were pregnant with our first daughter, and she and I were up in the middle of the night doing feedings every few hours, and mm. we would find stuff on tv we found um buffy so like i remember growing up and watching my my dad was watching buffy and i was never allowed in the room because it was violent and oh, you know, wow. whatever and or scary because i was you know just a, a, a little kid at that point hmm. but but anyway so we started watching buffy and so my wife got really into that and she you know finished all of she finished the series and was, was looking for something else and uh she, you know, I mentioned True Blood, and we finally got around to getting HBO Max, and True Blood was available. So we started watching that again. Nice. Or I, I've seen it before, at least a few seasons, and so that that's something. But um, I've heard good yeah, things. Yeah, what else? I never watched it. Heard good things though. What do you like to watch? I'm uh, a big fan of The Expanse. Uh, I'm mad that it's wrapping up the way that it is but i'm 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 mad that it's wrapping up the way that it is but i'm grateful that we even get to see it wrap up it was on the verge of being taken away from us uh and i think i think the expanse is arguably yeah arguably the best sci-fi show since firefly uh and a lot of people would say that and so I was, i'm i'm embarrassed to say I've, i haven't watched the expanse oh yeah did you have you seen firefly did you like it i haven't seen firefly I'd, I'd I think say, I would like it. I like this kind of stuff, but I just I haven't watched you like Stargate. Like I just I never got around to watching these other sci-fi shows. It's not quite in the same vein. I would even distinguish it a little bit from Stargate. So I would say if there's a spectrum of of sci-fi, then Stargate is kind of over to the let's call it 
let's call it hardcore side uh, with with uh, Next Generation and and uh, Battlestar mm-hmm. Galactica, right? That's a little bit hardcore sci-fi, right. which is great. And then if I want to call the other end of the spectrum a little bit more dramatic, a little bit more human and character-based, then mm-hmm. Firefly would be on that side. All these are great shows, by the way. Battlestar Galactica, uh, uh, Firefly, great shows. And Expanse yeah. is on that human side. Uh, and it's all in the sci-fi genre. I really, really enjoy it. And I was part of the crew that was tweeting Save the Expanse and all that stuff when, when it almost went away. And then Amazon picked yeah. it up. Uh, but I guess it just doesn't have the numbers to keep it up for seven, eight seasons. But at least we get the last right. couple. So uh, I like that. So how many total are there? I think there are. Let's see. Can I perform a quick Amazon search here? <laughs> Expanse. Season five, ten. So they're going to be six total. That's still a healthy. That's still a healthy amount. It's a healthy amount. It's a healthy six season. How many episodes per season? Uh, something like ten. Something like ten. That's that's a lot. It's a good amount. Have you heard of the show uh, Supernatural? You ever watched that? I've heard of it. I've never watched it. I can't remember. I I was blown away i mean walking dead as well i mean like we're talking you know t- 10 seasons they these are the like fast and furious of like tv shows where you're like they're really making another one like mm. fast and furious 25 yeah. ludicrous <laughs> on a wheelchair with, that's like, right oxide that's right on the road yes are, i mean i guess people are still watching that I they're mean, still making they money been, I know. I guess they're still making money. Yeah. I, I don't know who's watching them. I'm not. I know I, people no who are watching them. No one in my demographic, them. no one that I know watches them I know. Either. I know somebody who's a huge Fast and the Furious fan. So <laughs> that whole that whole franchise is kept up by this one person. That's Jeff right. Bezos. Yeah, that's right. That's who it is. It's Bezos, but then it's also, uh, they've got some hardcore followers. So I give them so much kudos for recognizing what it is that the people who are really excited about Fast and the Furious pay mm-hmm. for to go see, right? They realize that these people are paying to go see ridiculous car physics. That's what right. they really like. And they they want big explosions, ridiculous car chases, and action and over-the-top acting and drama. That's what they like. And the, the guy I know, uh, he loves it. He's so excited. He says, Fast and the Furious 9. He goes crazy. He says, he drove out of a building. <laughs> yeah. He loves he it. He wants to see someone yeah. do a kickflip in a Honda Civic. That's right. Like he, That's right. He loves wow. it. Wow. I would what is, I wonder what the, what the focus groups look like. So they bring in these people, like these guys are car fanatics and they're, they ask them or they show them things like, what do you want to see this car do next? And then they take that back to their writers and they're like, make it. So yeah, could be, could be, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah and they're, I mean, if there's, as long as they're still making money, uh, more right. power to them, right? Make a thousand of these things. Yeah. Yeah. You I, know, which movie has the best car physics ever. Can you that? guess? It's got to be Transformers. You think? Think about what these cars are doing. I mean, they're first of all, they're turning into robots. But I guess you like, have to break it down between ridiculous car physics and realist and simulation car physics. That's right. I know. So, so the car physics. I mean, I remember The Rock driving like in a huge vehicle, like through people's houses in Brazil or mm. something like that. Like <laughs> just insane shit where you're like, someone died 
in the making of this or yeah. in the movie. They don't talk about it. It's like it, it's like buildings exploding and Superman and crumbling to the yeah. ground, and like no one's talking about all the lives lost. For real, you're just like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, no, that I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, what else am I into? I'm big fan of The Expanse. You mm-hmm. had mentioned Game of Thrones, or I mean, you yeah, mentioned Walking Dead. Or do you like mm-hmm. Walking Dead, Game of Thrones? I liked Walking Dead, and then it, it got to the point where, where my wife and I are just screaming at the TV because, like, the show basically ah, it 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 lost its drive. So it was dependent mm. on people making decisions that you know they wouldn't make if they made it this far in the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're like, you've made it this far. You, you understand what it means to do, to leave a door unlocked or fire off a gun. And like, you know, it's going to attract people mm-hmm. yet. These, yet these people are, are making these decisions that you're like, you wouldn't have done that. Like, that's crazy. Or like, I don't, I don't want to ruin the show for anybody, but you're fine. There's so a limit to the for ruining the limit is um for tv shows i think it's i think it's five years for tv shows and 10 years for movies yeah. and those are just arbitrary numbers that time. i made up right now <laughs> these are scientific numbers that's right but actually uh, these are that's right these have been written you can cite that that's you can google someone. it just google it yeah, everybody says google it yeah. So, I mean, like there was one antagonist and like they could have killed this person on multiple occasions. And yet somehow this person kept slipping away and we we're like, just, you know, you could have taken him out like three or four times. And, and I think at that point we just got tired of the abuse mm. and we'd stop watching it. But I know it's still going. Um, wow. I can't. I stopped watching when uh, when they killed I'll just say when they killed the Asian guy, I actually forgot his the character's name. Glenn. Glenn. When they killed Glenn, I yep. said this is over for me. Mm-hmm. Actually, I didn't stop right then, but that was the beginning of the end. Me too. After the first half of that season, when it was just Negan, 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 Negan for the whole right. first half, and I said, you know what? They're just gonna build up for the Negan for the whole first half, and then they're just gonna fight him in the whole second half. And before right. then, the seasons had been so much more dynamic. Uh, there were yeah. so many more events in these people's lives where you kind of cared. And all, once right. it devolved, it, to me, it devolved into yes. just a pure Negan war. I said, I'm not interested in this anymore. Right. Yeah, I think that was the entire, that was the person I was mentioning. Where like, I feel like they just could have killed them on multiple occasions. Although I will say when they first introduced Negan in that season, like how helpless did you feel for the characters that you've grown to like, you know, really like? And um yeah, I he was a great villain for yeah. five episodes. <laughs> right. Yeah, he should have yep. been to me he should have been dead in five episodes and then the second half of that season they go on to something else. Well, this is all based on like comic books for a long time, right? True. Negan was always like the worst of the worst. I didn't so know I think, that. I heard that, but I didn't know that watching it. Yeah, they had to, I think, really kind of live up to how brutal this character was and how big of a deal. Because before that, it was like the governor, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, they're in the prison, they're fighting the governor. And uh, I mean, that was kind of crazy. And then, yeah, so like, how do you top that? Well, like Negan in the comic books. So. There were some cool characters. I mean, I like the the dude with the tiger was cool. So like, there were some interesting parts, but like, it wasn't something I was interested in in continuing to watch. And um, and um, 
Man, but those first few seasons were sick, right? I mean, <laughs> they really were. It was. They really were. Like, it was. You know, you're giving birth to. I mean, the the conflict between Shane and uh, what's the main character? I can't remember what his name is. The main guy. What's I his tell name? You, one of the actresses I absolutely love is Carrie Coon. Have you ever seen The Leftovers on HBO? Mm-mm. It might be on HBO Max. I'll check now. Uh, so Carrie Coon, it should be here. Let me see. Da, 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 typing in left over. Calculating. Are you yep. coding? Like when you're typing into Google, are you like basically just writing code into Google? <laughs> um, no, no. Can you do that? Can you? <laughs> no. You're just like you're just like carrot asterisk, and you, like it you knows. Can't. It's very enter. limited. It's very limited. I'm sure people. I'm sure people have tried to put several thousand line scripts into the Google search bar. Uh, yeah. And, and no, I'm sure it's just prepared. for it it's, to be like, oops. Sorry, yeah, the, uh, it, I'm result. sure it's totally protected. Totally protected. You can't unless <clears throat> you. Um, so the leftovers on HBO. The main female the female lead she's not the main character but she's kind of co-star i guess you'd call it uh she might be might be considered main character actually um it's carrie coon and watching the scene when she come in this is what i experienced i'm watching this tv scene okay it's fine and then for a moment i'm watching a woman a real woman describe something that has gone on in her life and then when she walked off the stage and somebody else came on. I went back to watching a TV show and experiencing that transition. I said, wait a minute. I wasn't. I was watching a documentary for those past four minutes. I just I got so wrapped up in what she was saying is I forgot I was watching fiction. Uh, huh. it, that was the sensation that I the sensation I had was that I had suddenly been transported out of fiction into a documentary and then back into fiction. Uh, and since then, she's been one of my most highly touted uh, actri- actresses. She does a lot of Broadway, but I really recommend The Leftovers if we're talking about good shows. Uh, good Leftovers is she on The Walking Dead? She's not. No, she's not on The Walking Dead. But she should have been. I don't know if they would have had her. Uh, they, she, didn't, she didn't come along till after. She was doing stage at oh, that yeah. time. Yeah. What else has she been in? Uh, we got her IMDb here. She's on Cool. Fargo. Yeah. Couple of Fargo's. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Avengers. She was in event. She was in Avengers. Yes, I, I don't know. Yep, the leftovers, the nest. Yeah, she's been in quite a few Avengers movies. What would you say are the characteristics uh, that make a good actor a good actor? I think, I think what you just described kind of is one of the characteristics where they're able to be so authentic and genuine, you almost forget that they are acting. Like they have kind of become that character. Mm. Um, what else do I like? Interesting facial expressions. <laughs> like I, I don't want someone to just kind of, I don't usually think, I don't know who I'm trying to think who are some of my favorite, like Zach Galifianakis, I think is an underrated actor and he does like, although he's kind of deadpan with his humor. I'm trying to think of anyone else. I just kind of made that up. You put me on the spot, so I said interesting facial characteristics. That's a good one. I like baskets. <laughs> what about a cool name? What about like yeah, baskets is funny. I mean, <laughs> French French baskets is yeah. really funny. Um, what about like a cool name like Benedict Cumberpatch? Like 
Cumberbatch. Cumberbatch. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he's good. I think what, <laughs> what what I like most about Benedict Cumberbatch is that he he can transition so quickly, but he 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 transitions in a way so he'll be in one scene he's upset he's pissed off and you believe that he's pissed off and then he'll yeah. compose himself he'll go okay okay wait okay and then the next scene or next you know moment he'll smile and say hello but he's still carrying a little bit of the pain and so he looks like because you know mm. we have to do that in our lives where you'll be really upset one moment and then the phone will ring and it's your brother and you you know you got to just say okay wait i just got to answer this and you can't can't be totally frazzled but even though you try to put on the happy face if somebody was being perceptive they could pick up that a little bit of that uh hurt is still lingering in your voice and i think i think he's he's subtle in that way Uh, i do Mm -hmm. like benedict cumberbatch yeah so i think on the i think other characteristic is like it seems almost effortless for that person to be mm. doing what they, like it's almost like watching someone play a sport where or like surfing for instance where like they almost make it look easy where you're like i could act mm. like you watch somebody and you're like i could do that yeah and it's like really what they're doing is <laughs> it's a craft of it that they've honed and and it makes it you perceive it as being easy and effortless but it's actually very you know i'm sure they are putting quite a bit of effort into it so i think that's kind of cool too do you still get out Um, on the water much yeah i mean i don't want to turn this whole podcast into me about surfing for the rest of it but i could talk for a while about it i um i surf today i try Mm. to surf weekly Mm. and uh with with covid and working from home it's it's been a lot easier because i can kind of make my schedule work around, you know, both family work and then like my own social kind of things that I enjoy doing, I guess my own activities. Mm. And so, I mean, like that's one thing about COVID is like, you know, two, well, two things about COVID one, I've got to watch my, my kid grow up, which is something I missed with my first kid where being a consultant and being gone in the office every day or, you know, out of the state, hmm. but I've, I've gotten to be at home and spend day, uh, at night with this kid, uh, my youngest, which has been awesome. And then, um, you know, being able to, to have lunch or go serving or like do whatever it is that I need to do. It's like not having to tra- spend time traveling to the office or like in the office. Uh, I've been able to put time elsewhere. So that's one of the things I've been doing with that is surfing more, which is for me kind of, uh, a sport, um, but also something I'm really passionate about mm. and, um, almost addicted to, to a fault at times where it's like, you know, I could be spending time doing laundry or doing whatever, but like, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to prioritize surfing cause it's just more fun. That's what it comes down to. It's really fun. Well, I would imagine that it's also cathartic. Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I would. I mean, it's a way for me. It's like a forcing function. It's a way for me to be in the moment. Cause mm. if you're not, I mean, it's kind of hard not to be in the moment where you're being like tossed underwater by a wave. It's mm. hard to be like, what well, you know, I wonder what my future holds mm. or like, man, that kid in fifth grade really pissed me off. It's like, you were thinking about like, shit, I need my next breath. Mm. And, uh, like you're trying to make yourself relax and calm. And, um, and then, yeah, I mean, when you get that breath of air, you're just kind of like, poof. It's almost like it's a relief. It's almost like, you know, a hit of something. 
So, and then uh, when you make good waves, it's really being alive. I mean, it's, yeah, it's a hit of life. <laughs> exactly. A big bong rip of life. That's right. That's right. Uh-huh. Now, the power of the moment, uh, the power of the moment has to be infinite. And so the reason I say the power of the moment has to be infinite, because all life is contained in it, this moment, all of it. Mm-hmm. So everywhere. If, we, everywhere, if we are in any way connected to the divine, we have to be connected to the divine now, right? Mm. Just by definition. Right. <laughs> right. Right what, now. What are your views on uh, divinity? Yeah, I um I think it's been uh it's been an interesting journey, but I would say that I am connected to something greater than myself. Mm. And and uh when I grew up I had both of my parents had bad experiences with religion growing up. So I, I didn't go to church. I didn't go to synagogue. I, I didn't do any of that. Although like my dad was technically Jewish and my mom was like, you know, was raised in a Christian household. Neither one of them really pushed anything on myself or my brother. And mm. so it was kind of left up to us to go and search out these things. However, it was, uh, you know, I had a friend down the street who was like, his family was Hebrew, and so he spent a lot of time doing Hebrew school, and I had a Catholic friend up the street, and, and he spent time, you know, um, in private school and going to those events. It was kind of like I was, I would ask to come along because I was just generally curious as a kid. I'm like, what are you guys doing that's so important? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. like... Am I missing out on something? It almost felt like I was missing out on like shit. Like, why aren't my parents giving me any direction when it comes to this? Mm. And uh, I think I kind of grew up almost resenting them for that of of not almost giving me a structure to experience it because like left to my own devices, like I am God, right? Like I am kind of the creator of my own moment of right now, and which is false and uh, well, true and false, right? Um, but it, it didn't give me something else to like tap into or to hold me accountable mm. or to kind of reach out to or help me grow. I think that would have been beneficial. Um, so well, there's actually a lot of growth uh, in the seeking. And so it, I would imagine that as much as uh, they probably weighed pushing you down one road or another, uh, yeah. they probably weighed, you know what? There are roads that he can find. Um, right. And if they believed in your ability, if they if they taught you to be strong and smart and, and always uh, to keep your head above water, no matter what, then at some point you'll seek on your own. And in seeking on your mm-hmm. own, there's actually a lot to be a lot to be said in the seeking for the seeking. Yeah, I agree with that. And so, I mean, I watched my mom get into um, like Buddha, um, Buddhism. Mm. And I mean, like she went to India and like went on some meditation kind of spiritual look, you know, trying to have her own spiritual experience through Buddhism. And um, I mean, that was really interesting. But I think my, my dad, on the other hand, he almost resented it so much that like if I showed any interest in it, he was not pleased. Right. Mm, he he wow. almost. Yeah. So it wasn't really like. I think what you described is what I'm trying to do with my daughter and, you know, be strong, be smart, like, Hey, 
you can believe in what you want. This is kind of what your mom and I are, are, are into, but like you can kind of define your own, like what you think it is. Mm. It wasn't like that in my household. It was almost like, don't talk about it. If you pursue it almost like it wasn't, there wasn't approval mm. with that. Mm. Yeah. It was so one of slightly, those don't, don't, don't talk about politics or religion houses. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Mm. And, um, I think, so that's kind of where the resentment kind of came from where like, I, although I didn't like revolt into like going to church, <laughs> you know, like some people are, they do the exact opposite of what their yep. parents do. Yeah. This was not an example of that. Like I didn't like run to the church and to piss my dad off, <laughs> you know, it's, um, but it kind of took me a while to work through some of those childhood experiences of not feeling um, like it was okay for me to search for something greater than myself. I mm. think it took me a little bit, it was a little uncomfortable, right? Where even talking about the subject was kind of, mm-hmm. it just kind of made me feel a certain way or I was just Because in those, in those, don't talk about religion, politics or religion houses, you're brought up to feel that if the conversation turns to religion or politics or morality or truth or belief or anything like this, then that means that we are now on the tense edge of violence. That's kind of the feeling Hmm. that people who grew up in those houses have that, oh no, this conversation has become serious. We're on the tense edge of violence and yelling and fighting and it gives you this sense of danger (laughs) because the conversation has become uh, on the really serious topics. Yeah, yeah, it feels, it definitely feels tense. And I think, like, I, I think my dad's a little more, he's like way more relaxed about it at this point because I'm an adult and we've, like, so he, he doesn't have that same type of, I think he's also seen what's happened in my life. So, like, you know, I, I'm not, I don't really define myself as, like, Christian or Jewish or Buddhist or anything like that. Mm. I I would like to think that there's something, a greater, higher power out there that has, you know, helped me out in a multiple ways, kind of get my life on track, even if that is, even if that is something, like, with inside myself, um, but yeah, I mean, he's kind of mellowed out a lot and I think he's seen how it's impacted my life. Although like, I don't see him ever, he's very much like pull up your britches. I'll, I'm going to get shit done on my own. I don't need anyone's help to do this kind of mm. guy. Um, and that was like his household, right? So like mm-hmm. we are all kind of products of environments that we're raised in. And um, so like for him, he had a tough, I mean, his parents were really tough on him. He, you know, both my grandparents were kind of abusive emotionally and, you know, had their own addiction issues. It's, it's fine. And, um, you know, he's, so he's not at fault for that. Right. Mm. Like you can't almost fault somebody for being, um, like I could understand why he wouldn't think, you know, you know, God's not looking out for me. Like, Mm. where's God when someone's like being an asshole to me, you know, Mm. like it just doesn't, so, yeah. Yeah. No, that Anyways. makes that makes total sense. I was my family was Christian, uh, and I've got a uh, ordained minister in my family. Uh, my wife's wow. family is very, very, very religious. Uh, kind of, kind of, not conservative. They're culturally conservative in the religious sense. They aren't politically conservative, but they're yeah. you know very much. And, you know, these are what the, this is what the men do. This is what the women do type of thinking. And my family is, sure. is 
my family is one of you can just assume that God is a reality and, and it's the Christian God. It's the, the Methodist God. Mm-hmm. And that's all that God can mean when you mean it. But my family is also very tolerant. Uh, they would say that, yeah. hey, if you're Jewish or if you're Buddhist or if you're Muslim, whatever, as long as you're kind and abide by the law, then, hey, we, we can be friends. Uh, and so I was fortunate yeah. to have that experience. But I myself didn't go i didn't take i I was rebellious to the point of you you say there's a god show me i was i was that type of teenager (laughs) you Mm -hmm. say there's a god where where's this god that you that you claim is out there uh yeah so i didn't subscribe to it at all coming up uh, as a teenager but then as when i turned 21 i quote unquote discovered christianity all on my own And the reason I say, quote unquote, is because that's the typical experience for an adult. Right. If I had been born in, let's say, Bangladesh, chances are if I had been some some atheistic kid when I was an adult, I would have, quote unquote, discovered Hinduism. Right. As oh, this is the thing that's always been. It really has a lot to do with where you are in the world, the religion that you discover when you're an adult. But that's what happened to me. Uh, I discovered Christianity. I became a born again Christian. Uh, I was 100 percent non-denominational reading about reading the bible for myself protestant um and i was going hard on that and then i heard a title of a book i, I never actually read the book but the title was enough to shake my foundation and it was called the world's 21 crucified saviors and i said wait a minute there there can't be 21 crucified saviors that that can't be the thing <laughs> and so i just began to wonder well what if christianity and the, the Old Testament, New Testament isn't the one way and truth to God. And just asking that question in a serious way uh, in the long run led me away from uh, strict kind of dogmatic interpretation. Uh, today, I do have a concept of God that I'm comfortable using in conversation, but it's it's the most boring version of God. It is that God is the infinite origin of things from which all other things spring. And so this is the, the definition of God that says God is the, the infinite unknown that exists before this reality. Uh, I love it. I, you know, everybody's got it. Uh, I, I was actually deflated recently by Carl Sagan because I thought that I had kind of come to this conception uh, in a sophisticated yeah. way. And Carl Sagan absolutely said, well, if you define God as the infinite origin of things, everybody believes in God. <laughs> right. And I thought, I said, thanks, Carl. Uh, so yeah. he just shot a hole through my whole discovery. But uh, but that's fine. That's how I operate with it now. And uh, I do believe this, though. I do believe that we as a species are part of something that does have a purpose. Now, I don't believe that I know what the purpose is. I don't believe anyone knows what the purpose is, but I do believe that there is a purpose, a set of meanings, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It's called the, so Jordan Peterson calls it the instinct for meaning. Have you ever heard of Jordan Peterson? I haven't. So Jordan Peterson calls it the instinct for meaning. And I'm not, I'm not convinced that, that I want to call it an instinct for meaning. That seems a little nebulous to me, but I have experienced uh, that pretty much everyone feels like they they really want to have some set of transcendent goals uh, in order to operate. 
Right. And but the thing is, people, not everybody carries these things consciously. Uh, someone mm-hmm. who's someone who says, oh, I don't believe in anything. You can then watch them go join their friends, go have fun at a party and then go throw Molotov cocktails through the windows of police departments. And they all the while claiming not to believe anything. But obviously right. you believe in this movement that you're a part of. Right. Obviously. Right. So you just have to admit to yourself, every all of us have a set of operational beliefs. If you didn't have a set of operational beliefs, you couldn't get out of bed. Right. So you do have it. So it's about being honest with yourself about what you believe. Um, hmm. That's what I call the instinct. I think we all have it. Uh, and it's just it's a wonderful place to be. And, and I think we're I think humans have more in common than we have separate, regardless of what religion that we belong to. I would say so. We all kind of come. I mean, I think how we evolved, if you believe that or not, I mean, we all kind of have evolved out of a similar group of beings hmm. in, a, in a similar location on Earth, and we can kind of trace that, right, through hmm. scientific methods. Um, so you could imagine our traits are somewhat similar, and uh, how we think is very similar, Um and and I think what you're just you can kind of see it in different cultures that never interacted. You know, they across the world from each other, Native Americans and people in like Africa, you know, people yeah. in America and Africa, they have very similar, um, I guess, developments mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. art. And like you can kind of trace these things. You're like that that artwork, what they put together over here is kind of similar to like what the Inca, you know, what the Aztecs were building, what the Egyptians were building. Maybe they're thousands of years apart in when they were building these things, but they have similar kind of themes and patterns. Mm-hmm. So like, I'm not surprised that there are like humans have some type of instinct that's shared amongst us. Have you um, seen uh, the experiment where they're giving one monkey uh, cucumbers and another monkey a grape. No. So there's this. You can look it up on YouTube. It's a video. Uh, it's a really short video, but it's super cool. So there, there's this scientist, and they put their hand up to, and there are two monkeys in two cages that are right next to each other. The monkeys can see each other, but they're in separate cages just next to each other. And so mm-hmm. the scientist puts their hand up to the first monkey, and it's the monkey's job to hand them a rock. And there are several of these little pebbles inside of the cage, and they hand them a pebble, and in exchange they get food. So the mm-hmm. first monkey hands the scientist a pebble, gets in return a piece of cucumber, and the monkey takes the cucumber and gratefully starts munching away on it. Wonderful. Now the scientist puts their hand to the second monkey. The monkey hands them a similar, almost identical pebble, and the scientist hands that monkey back a grape. And monkey takes it, starts eating the grape. Wonderful. And both monkeys can see what the other monkey got. They're totally, they're within a Mm -hmm. few feet, within a foot of each other. Scientist goes back to the first monkey. Monkey hands the scientist a pebble. Uh, The scientist hands that first monkey a cucumber, same as it got the first time. The monkey takes a bite of the cucumber, puts it back out the cage, throws it at the scientist. <laughs> scientist so I want go- a grape. Exactly. Scientist goes to the second monkey, hands uh, accepts the pebble, gives them a grape. The second monkey is second monkey is very satisfied to get the grape. Science go- uh, scientist goes back to the first monkey, puts his hand out for the pebble. The monkey takes a pebble, bangs it against the wall to make sure it's a real pebble. Says, am I giving you fake pebbles or what? It bangs the thing against the wall, against the pebble, gives the scientist the pebble, gets a cucumber in return, throws it at the scientist, shakes the cage. This dude's pissed off because he's getting cucumbers while this other dude is getting grapes. And these are in monkeys. Right. <laughs> so yeah. the instinct for fairness is deep, is deep. Interesting. Yeah. Wow, that's fun. I think that's I mean, Franz sad, Vanderwall, I want to say. I mean, it, 
<laughs> monkeys in cages are sad and studying them manipulating them in these ways is sad but it does reveal some very interesting just kind of innate traits um like you can't really you could I'm, I'm sure you'd probably see something similar if you were to study a human in that way but we're not allowed to do that kind of stuff anymore mm. Like an inter- an IRB would never, an internal review board at a university or something like that would never approve of you doing this. But certainly these kind of traits are a fairness. Yeah, they go, they're human, you know, but they're also, you see in the animal kingdom as well. Yeah, yeah. Just specifically people are, anim- people are animals, right? Um, that, yeah. that much is not, I don't think that much is up for debate. <laughs> people right. are animals. Yeah. So I want to, I want to touch touch on one topic you know go back to a topic and uh it's it's aliens right so we're Mm -hmm. talking about like why are we here and what is the purpose Mm -hmm. and like what if that purpose is like similar to what you were describing here with the monkeys like an experiment Mm. you know and um i just find that i i find myself like these videos yeah yeah popping up and and i mean it's just kind of like wild you know it's like especially um you know the government is saying like yeah we got ufos there's been a spate there's been a spate (laughs) of them recently where do you stand on it where do you land on it there i'm i'm um i was gonna say i'm nervous Hmm. and if i say i wasn't nervous i'd be lying Hmm. i'm like yeah, no shit. There's, but like, what does that mean? Like, where are we in the pecking order of this whole thing? Like, mm. do we stand a chance? Are there, you know, <laughs> or is it just like game? Is it just checkmate already? And we're just, you know, they're just watching us going yeah. like, you, you dummy, you stupid monkeys. That's you know? the camp I'm in. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in yeah. the checkmate camp. Uh, I think that there's probably. I think that there's probably at least one species of aliens that knows exactly what we're doing the same way that we could be at a picnic table and then beneath the picnic table there's an ant hill of a bunch of ants doing their thing. Well, we know of the ants, but whatever, right? It doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I mean, we could stop the ants if we want, but the ants don't know we're there. And right. What, and what if we wanted to communicate with the ants? What could you do to communicate to an ant your existence? What could you do to make an ant recognize your magnificence and your magnitude? You can't do it. It can't comprehend your presence. No matter what you mm. try, you can't communicate with it. And I think that there's at least one, I would imagine, it, it makes sense to me, that there's at least one alien species that's that far ahead of us. That even if they tried to get us to recognize their presence, we just couldn't comprehend it. Interesting. Yeah. I think it's, you know, like ancient aliens, they kind of, and, and what we were talking about with, uh, with kind of art that you might see thousands of years apart, but very similar, mm. like finding certain, you know, art and carvings and things that describe something very similar, which is usually some kind of godly being, um, that is that share, that shares similar characteristics, but we might be talking about groups of people across the world from each other. Yeah. Like, well, how do you explain these very similar, like either idols that they've created or that you can kind of see that they've worshipped? You know, how do you kind of explain that kind of stuff? Unless it's the innate instinct, and we all kind of think the same group thought, and we all kind of think the same, and all came up with the same stuff at the same time, which is something, right? It's like uh, it's, um, it could be that, but then when you look at the at the video evidence, I mean, 
Come on. Right. Look at the look at the capsule. To me, the capsule is just, oh, yeah, for sure. That's an alien. <laughs> right. Why even try to pretend it's not? Uh, that's obviously something intelligent, something that we haven't made. And but it just right. passed through our reality, whatever it is. Uh, right. So what do you do at this? So, I mean, like, do you I mean, probably defense is futile right <laughs> or like yeah no it's not even i mean so i i imagine it uh, along a couple different dimensions one the one that i just told you about about it's being so advanced that you know even even they could stomp us they could squash us they could get rid of us they could try to talk to us it doesn't right. matter we're just too stupid um so that's one dimension i think about it another is have you ever heard of flatland or 2d land uh, i haven't so flatland is an experiment where if you imagine Mr. Circle. Mr. Circle lives in two dimensions. And you imagine Mr. Mm -hmm. Square and Mr. Triangle. They all live in two dimensions and they move around in this two-dimensional plane. If you were to try to interact with the people in Flatland, the inhabitants of Flatland, let's say you're going to pass a uh, tennis ball through Flatland. What they're going to see is they're going to see some weird green small circles that are the fuzz of the tennis ball. Then they're going to see an odd dual layer circle with an inside. This is a, a, a cross section slice of the tennis ball as it passes through the world. And this thing is going to appear. It's going to grow to a certain size and it's going to shrink and it's going to vanish just the way it came. They're going to go, what the <laughs> hell was that? Right. And that was yeah. a tennis ball passing through their reality. And so I think that that's a possibility that there, that there are higher dimensional beings uh, that mm passed through our reality and to us it appears to be objects that absolutely violate all known laws of physics uh, but, right. to th but to them it was a teenager that accidentally knocked over his soda into the experiment and had to pick it up real quick uh, <laughs> <laughs> damn it yeah. yeah i think so i yeah, like I, I think about it in that way too that's a fun that's a fun way to think about it yeah i mean are are we small minded to think that these are even like that that these are even vessels that these are even like yeah. a spaceship like is that just stupid like that's kind of our way of thinking about it it's like well it must be like some type of airplane that goes you know that can defy what we know about physics but like what if they're completely beyond that and mm -hmm. we're in 2D land and it's a tennis ball you know yeah. and we're just like that's not even something we can make sense of yeah, we're arrogant to think that we are even on the same magnitude as them. We're, we're arrogant to think that they could get out of a craft and look at us eye to eye, right? Yeah. That's arrogant. Mm -hmm. You think you can look at an alien eye to eye? You can't, you know, try looking eye to eye with, like I said, an ant. Pick up an ant and talk to it. Where's that going to get you? Yeah. The ant's going to sniff around. It's not even going to recognize you exist. And so it, it very well could be that. Uh, and that's not my idea. Um, Neil deGrasse Tyson has art yeah. articulated that idea very well. And I'm I'm a subscriber in the same camp as he is. What do you think aliens think about the Fast and Furious <laughs> movies? <laughs> I, I think they think they're terrific. What else could you feel? What else could one feel? If, they're like if, these... <laughs> If an alien thought that those were bad movies, I'd say that's a bad alien. They're like, look at these car physics. They've almost <laughs> achieved what we're doing with our spaceships. There's a show on sci-fi called uh, Resident Alien starring Alan Tudyk. Uh, that's really funny. I do recommend I haven't it. seen it. I, I do recommend the show. I tell you what I don't recommend is watching sci-fi channel online. Uh, mm -hmm. Dude, I am so don't. sick of commercials. <laughs> 
I am inundated. Oh, yeah. I am saturated. Commercials yeah. are a waste of life space. <clears throat> and this Sci-Fi Online, the Sci-Fi Channel Online, does guaranteed one minute of commercial for three minutes of show without without fluctuation. Ouch. Um, it's it's That's horrible. It's almost unbearable. I watched one season of of uh, yeah, Resident Alien, and I said, you know what? I'm gonna watch nothing but Netflix and HBO Max and Amazon, and for the next long while, I can barely stand Hulu uh, because they show commercials. I think yeah, I can't do commercials either anymore. It's uh, they're painful. Yep. Right. Yep. They're a joke. They're kind of and I and I think at this point, I mean advertising seems so um like an invasion of privacy at this point mm. like if i'm scrolling through instagram or for or i don't you really use facebook anymore but these targeted ads i feel like have swung too far where like i almost reject them it's like sure i may have been talking about this particular type of product but but now I know you're listening to me. Like instead of letting me go and search these things out on my own, you're now presenting it to me, and it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Have you had that experience ever? Oh, I, I have it every day. Uh, every day I use yeah. the internet. So have you seen the Signal ads? Signal being the company, not just the word, not just the generic word signal. I haven't. So there, at least to my knowledge, maybe there's a company. There's a private messenger company called Signal. They they give you the and I have Signal on my phone. Um, they give you the ability to send essentially text messages, but they're encrypted, kind of like the Zoom calls are encrypted. So even the people at Zoom mm-hmm. don't know what's happening on the call. Uh, it's the same with Signal. Signal, you can send text messages back and forth, and even the people at Signal don't know what's in the message. It's, it's totally encrypted. Um, mm. And they put up some ads that they were going to put on um, Instagram. And here's one of them. It says, and it's just a blue square with white text on it. And it says, you got this ad because you're a newlywed Pilates instructor and you're cartoon crazy. This ad, use your location to see that you're in La Hala. You're into parenting blogs and thinking about LGBT adoption. And another yeah. is, you got this ad because you're a certified public accountant in an open relationship. This ad, use your location to see you're in South Atlanta. You're into natural skincare and you've supported Cardi B since day one. And so there's a whole <laughs> list of these things where they all they did was they bought the ad from Facebook and just used the data to they bought the targeted ad and then they just show right. they just show you what the data mm-hmm. is that they're using to target you and Facebook immediately banned them <laughs> immediately right i love it that's great it's like yeah we're collecting just about every single thing um, you're either searching for talking about or you know at some point it's going to be even thinking I think it is getting there because what's truly valuable is attention. Uh, And I think you probably have this innate sense. uh, Maybe it's conscious. I don't know. You tell me. But attention and time is not a renewable resource. And your attention and your time is worth only what you say it's worth. Right. So if I say, hey, Sam, let me give you a million bucks so you can. And I want you to stick your head in this black bag and just stay like that for five years. Would you do it for a million bucks? Maybe. I don't know. Some people wouldn't. Would Bezos do it for a million bucks? Hell no. His time's worth right. way more than that. Would I do yep. it for a million bucks? Probably not. Five years. I yeah. don't know. But if you said, 
If you said, hey, Kari, stick your head in the bag and don't do anything for a million bucks for a year, I'd do it <laughs> at this point in my life because yeah. uh, my, my time isn't worth that. But the point is, you decide how much your time and attention is worth. And Google and Facebook have figured out how to and how to monetize our attention via our data. Yeah. And they're just extracting it from us. I'm convinced. Hmm. Yeah, there's some weird shit going on, isn't there? I um. What do you do to protect, I, I, protect your your kids in this day and age? Um, what do I do to protect my kids? You know, I, I think we allow them to, I mean, watch certain things. We we don't yeah. allow them just to like search YouTube for anything like that. Like mm. we have, you know, we watch Disney Channel and, uh, but we don't do any of the. You know, we like to have somewhat of a controlled experience for them mm. um i mean they certainly see us like on instagram and and doing this types of thing so i mean i guess not a whole lot we, uh, we try to make sure that they that they understand that there's life beyond tv and we force them to go outside we don't just like give put, put video games in front of them and date them all day you mm. know we definitely we let them get bored um and that's so uh, you good. know yeah, we. I mean, I'm growing tomatoes. That I guess that's the most recent thing. Is oh, nice. I'm really trying to make a conscious effort to show them, you know, woodworking or you know, arts, you know, um, painting, just like simple crafting stuff, just so they don't get, just so they don't think it's only about you know Fortnite and video games. Mm. Um, those things are more of like a treat that you get occasionally, like a piece of candy. That's not something to be expected, like your coffee in the morning. Mm. Um, mm. So, yeah, I think just trying to engage them in things outside of screens has probably been the best, like, the biggest way that we're trying to protect them um, from a, I guess, from a digital existence, if mm. that's what we're talking about protecting them from. Mm. Uh, yeah. Yeah. They don't have, like, Instagram yeah, accounts the, and shit. The internet, <laughs> uh, you know, the internet is all of humanity. And when we first went online in the mid 90s we were very we said wow everybody's coming online and now 30 years later we're going oh everybody's online right now we go but now we go oh there's a lot of sick people out there everybody's yeah. online right you were excited right. about everybody when you had this rosy view of the world which you could have a rosy view of the world when you couldn't see it all but now that we can right. see the whole world that rosy view has got to go away um the world is beautiful and the world is terrific and the world is horrible and wretched yeah. and ugly. It's all of those things simultaneously and the internet has them all. Yeah, the internet has kind of exposed all of, I mean, just the highest highs and the lowest lows mm. um, just by connecting information to people, right? Um, and people are so bad when they're anonymous, when they have, they have the uh, ability to be anonymous. Yeah. I watched a documentary on QAnon uh, a couple weeks ago, and it showed how once people got the ability to post anonymously, uh, mm -hmm. it just brought out the absolute worst in them. They said things that they would never say to anyone if their right. identity were connected to the to it. Mm -hmm. Interesting. You know, I you know, kind of just. I mean, this is kind of off topic, but also on topic where. Um, 
like there's still that that island out near India where like they have no connection to the outside world at all. Oh really? Like, they they fiercely defend that. So like people try to show up. I mean, I think a missionary got killed two years ago, two or three years ago, trying to go and you know visit them, and um, they shot him with bows and arrows. I mean, they want nothing to do with any outsiders at all. They Mm. want to preserve that, that Island, uh, at all costs, which is kind of crazy. I mean, it's like, this is the last, this is one of the last groups of people who has not, you know, they don't know about iPhones and cars. They have to know about, you know, different, different types of vehicles. Right. Um, because of planes flying over, et cetera. But I mean, like this is a group of people who is very uninterested in any other groups outside of the world. And they've been, they've been on this Island for, um, I mean like thousands of years, I'm sure. Yep. And they've been able to preserve their culture and, uh, they don't give a shit about Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. It's kind of crazy to think about. I wonder what, I bet they're, I bet you they have neighborhood squabbles. I bet you their version yeah. of their version of Facebook is did you hear what Andisa said about Odaway? No. Right. What did she say? Said his butt's flat. What? Are they gonna yeah. fight? Yeah, they're gonna fight. <laughs> yeah, they're fighting. <laughs> yeah, their targeted ads are like shooting target, you know, shooting arrows at yeah. a target. Their targeted ads yeah. are their sisters showing up at three AM every night. Get away from my hut. Gosh, I'm right. showing up over here at 3 a.m. every night. I'm not going to help you cook. Yeah, I think I think if you could be a fly on a wall or be invisible and visit, it would be like extremely just eye-opening for people now who have like, you know, I've got lights, I've got a computer around me, I've got like all this tech, you know, a freaking massage gun. Like these people have been, I've been totally happy with what they've with what they've got, and I'm sure their days are filled with, uh, you know, going back to the to the self realization. I wonder if these people have been able to achieve anything like that because they have their shelter, they have their food, they have their ways. Like, are they able to then think beyond, uh, you know, kind of make their way up Maslow's hierarchy of needs to that self realization actualization? kind of achieve something greater i would think so i would think so i would actually think that would be a really good show if they just made a show called uncontacted and then they showed and then they contact them no 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 it's fictional fictional show they made a show called they showed a call uh uncontacted and then you have this cast of people and they just showed them having mundane human squabbles but also reaching those highest peaks of overcoming your own personal demons to be better, right? Maybe there's some mm-hmm. dude who had a real problem with laziness such that it was actually hurting the village because he had the ability, but he was always scared and he couldn't go hunt, right. but he was always, he would hurt his foot and he'd go, oh, I'm hurt. And they go, dude, you're so weak. You need to yeah. just kill yourself. And he had all these, but eventually he stood up one day and he actually went out and caught a bunch of fish and everybody was happy. And, you know, right. and just tell those human stories of people being human that you don't need you don't need the tech to be human right we're plenty human without the tech right uh, the tech's fine and the tech's gonna make us superhumans kind of maybe uh have you yeah. followed elon musk with Neuralink? uh i've heard of Neuralink. i have not like dove into that so this dude really wants to accelerate the 
rate uh, at which we're becoming cyborgs and digital analog hybrids. I actually agree with him that this is a an inevitable step eventually because you can this is the way it makes sense to me. If I can replace my joints with titanium, then they last longer, they don't wear out. There's no reason to not, right? Mm -hmm. So if we develop systems such that I can replace my bones with a very lightweight stone that doesn't degrade, uh, that's as lightweight as bone is just stronger and it lasts longer, then there's right. no reason to not. And the same for all of my muscles. If I can do something uh, that does something to the fibers to where they just, they, they make them semi-synthetic, but semi-organic to where they don't poison me, but they also don't really wear out. And the same for all my cells. You can replace pretty much every cell in my body, save the neurons and the, and the glial cells. But you can replace every cell in my body with some sort of synthetic last longer version. And I'm all for it. Um, and so that, wow. at that point, we're going to be pretty much cyborg. But. Uh, Elon wants to make sure that our brains are also connected to the internet because that's the that's the out that's the external memory. Uh, so it, culturally, I think we've for a long time maintained our our cultural memory through story and myth and. We, we've done that, but also through books, right? This, this was how we externalized our memory. We just wrote stuff down uh, and then you didn't, you didn't have to remember it. It was externalized into this yeah. book. And so the internet we offloaded is, it. We offloaded it into the book. And so now the internet is doing that job in spades. It's right. also capturing moments that books didn't capture. So no, no longer is it just a story or a book that we have to try to capture some moment. You can just record it and save it and then put it online and then put it on the blockchain and now it's there forever. Hmm. Um, right. And so that happening and then we want to connect our bio brains to the internet with ultra high bandwidth such that we can access all the facts of history in an instant and have bodies that will last forever. Uh, this to a lot of people, maybe I'm in this group, is the next evolution of humankind. Uh, imagine someone whose cells are all synthetic and their mind is constantly connected to the internet, but they still have they still have agency just like you and I do. And they're gonna live so they're gonna live for five hundred years and they're already the smartest person to ever exist. Yeah, I'll be mm -hmm. that dude. <laughs> Why not? Interesting. Why not is be that, that dude? out of a fear? Is that from a fear and I probably have to wrap up this um, pretty soon. I think nine thirty is a hard stop. But um, you're good. You're good. Is that a fear of death in that we've pursued this so much that um, it's almost a way of us and you know, the fountain of youth has been found through the internet and through technology. And that's why we've dumped so much money and time into it where people before technology pursued more spiritual ways of achieving this or through human sacrifice, whatever it happened to be. Now we found a way we've invented a way, the internet, um, that we can almost live forever because we're terrified of dying. Like, yes. I, I, I think the, the, yes the people no. of, should be terrified of, of dying though. The people of Sentinel Island. And I just remembered that I didn't mm. Google it. I remembered it. Sentinel <laughs> Island. Would they, given the chance, would they opt into like this, download your brain to the internet? Or would they be like, 
no, this is natural. This is a mm. part, you know, this is a natural part of life. Like we grow up fearing death so much that we're willing to do anything. I mean, absolutely anything to stay alive. Even if the qual, even if our quality of life has dramatically decreased and we're no longer able to do the things that we love, we still are so scared of what is what happens when the lights turn out that we rather download our brain to the internet and versus, you know, just letting this natural thing that's been going on for millions and millions of years just happen. Well, I think the trick is to live for a long time, but without that decrease, right? Nobody wants to be a, nobody wants to be a 109 year old invalid for 400 years. That's right. not, that's not ideal, but you, if you could be a 35 year old kicking and doing, for 500 years? 25 year old. 25. 25 year old kicking the door. Yeah. Uh, that's so great, Sam. Thank you for coming on. What What would you want to say to the handful full of people listening that you haven't said yet? Um, I think I'd like to say be understanding of one another, be, be patient with one another, be, be generous to one another. Um, try to be as understanding and uh, to, to just generally try not to make decisions out of fear or, or fear of judgment and like, you know, try to achieve the best person that you could possibly be. Yeah. I think those are wise words. Thanks so much for having me. This was a great time. I'd love to come back and do it again, Kari. It was awesome chatting with you. We will. We will. You enjoy the cool, night, man. All right, you have a good night. Bye. Bye.